Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Hey, uh, we are living in um, what I think most of us would describe as uh, fairly anxious times. Uh, we're living in a time when, um, even if you looked at the statistics uh, for mental health in Canada or in the U.S., you would see that there is a, a rise of anxiety that's being experienced by, uh, by many people. If you looked at the statistics pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, and I had just a short glance at them, I'm not going to quote anything at you, but you see this sort of significant increase in what we would describe as the anxiety that people feel as individuals. Now, we all feel anxiety at different times over different things. Uh, some, of us, some of you would feel fairly anxious if you had to come up to the pulpit and, and deliver the sermon. Uh, sort of a fear of speaking in public is a big one for people. Some of you feel anxiety over social situations. Uh, just uh, some of you feel anxiety over going to school. Some of you feel anxiety on the road, uh, anxiety over all kinds of different things that we wrestle with personally. But uh, the reality is, is that anxiety is not only something that's sort of internal based on how we're wired. Uh, there's something that we're feeling in our culture about anxiety that is, is almost like a pool that we're all swimming in or a sea that we're all swimming in. Uh, there is an atmosphere of anxiety and an atmosphere of fear that we, we live in that adds to whatever it is that we're wrestling with personally. How many of you know that if you spend some time scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or visiting news websites and searching around the internet or looking at YouTube or whatever it is, uh, you become more and more aware of things going on in the world that uh, begin to impact uh, the way you feel. They begin to impact how you feel about your future, how you feel about how your life might unfold, how you feel about how things are going. Uh, if you want to use a, a, a vogue word today, in many, many cases, uh, we are, as a society, kind of triggered uh, by, by what's going on. Uh, and you could even say that we are uh, engaged uh, in a pandemic of fear. I want to really encourage you for a moment with these things that we're wrestling with. Uh, inflation. How many of you are conscious uh, that, like, as Warren mentioned earlier, I don't know, I think I saw, like, a head of romaine lettuce for $4.99. Like, like, just unbelievable the, what, what things are costing, the price of fuel. See what's going on in, in China and Taiwan, the crash of Bitcoin. Uh, polarization uh, in the media, polarization in politics, and on and on it goes. Uh, you'll see up there one of the weird phrases that may or may not make sense to you is Nord Stream 2. Nord Stream 2, I don't know if you're familiar with this, is a pipeline that runs natural gas from Russia um, to Germany. And on uh, September 26, 2022, that pipeline running natural gas was sabotaged. And in four different locations in that pipeline, uh, it, it exploded and caused there to be a disruption in the delivery of, uh, of natural gas to Northern Europe. Um, now that might just seem like a funny little news story, uh, but what sociologists and what historians who are sort of looking at current events and looking backwards and analyzing events like this and the Ukraine war and various things that are going on in the world, 
look at this uh, particular event and say there's something happening here. We, we don't even know who blew this pipeline up. Uh, that's not something that anybody has claimed. It's not, we don't know if it was Russia. We don't know if it was the US. We don't know if it was industrial espionage, another corporation. Uh, we don't know if it was environmentalists. We can't even see who benefited from it. We can't even see why it was really done or what effect it really had in the world. But it's just a, a destructive act against a, a major piece of infrastructure and nobody really knows why. And what sociologists and historians do when they sort of look at events like that is they say, we're seeing something in our society that says uh, there, there is a collapse. There is a needless, wanton, active destruction happening. Uh, our society kind of breaking itself down and, and damaging itself in a, in a senseless way. And so we look at events like that as sort of pivot point moments in history, saying what's happening in Western civilization? What's happening uh, in culture? Uh, we look at you know, the, the amount of, of angst over climate policy. Uh, we look at wokeism, our own struggles with the healthcare system in Canada. Um, the, the, the standard of living decrease that's predicted for us. I don't know if you know about that, but econ, econ, economists, economists, <laughs> economists in the UK predict something like a 7% just general dis, decrease in standard of living, where for year after year after year after year after year in our culture, we've seen an increase in our standard of living for the first time and a significant decrease is predicted. The world that we're living in is not likely to be as comfortable and as, as healthy and as wealthy as, as what we've experienced in the years past. And so the question is, uh, what do we do with all of that? Uh, we see that culture is shifting. Uh, what, what sociologists would say, there's a, a guy named Mark Sayer who, who adopted a term called the gray zone. We're going in a, into a gray zone where the world order as it is is shifting into something new, but we're in between and we don't really know what that's like. We don't really know what's coming. So what do we do in this moment of uncertainty? And, and this is something that we wrestle with as people. This is something of fear uh, that we experience. This is something that we, uh, we have to deal with. $250,000 debt of government debt that every American has. Every working American has an additional to the debt that they're carrying on their credit cards and mortgages, $250,000 in government debt that's just continually growing and adding. What do we do with these statistics? What do we do uh, with these things as they, as they come to us? How many of you uh, just remember for a second uh, back the power outage that we experienced from the windstorm in May 2022? Do you remember that? What, what did you feel in that time? Did any of you go a little bit post-apocalyptic in your thinking for just a few minutes? Did any of you think, I really wish I had a generator and a bunker, and I wish I had more canned goods, and uh, I wish I was a little bit more prepared for this? How many of you went into thinking, uh, you know, big thoughts about geopolitics and, and what's going on in the world and wrestling with uh, some of these, these really big questions? Or when you see a story in the news about the moral shift in our culture, uh, we go a little bit dark in our thinking. Uh, we get a little bit fearful. We have anxiety about that. And, and the question is, where do we really look for solutions? Where do we look to calm our fears? 
do we look to corporations? They're really here to help us. Elon Musk will save us, <laughs> right? It's probably not gonna be that, right? Uh, we, we look, in many cases, we, we don't look at anything at all. We look to medicate and ignore it and to just sort of soothe ourselves by pretending nothing's happening and we just entertain ourselves, entertain ourselves, entertain ourselves and try not to think about what's going on. Uh, some of us look to our own strength, to our own abilities, to our own financial uh, preparation and how we can save money, and how we can uh, work through those issues in terms of preparing uh, more security for ourselves. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's one of the great things we look to for hope. Uh, many, many people look towards activism, right? We look towards the government. How can we shift the policies of our governmental systems uh, so that we can make them so that they more align with our values, so that the government is more making decisions that are aligned with the Christian worldview. Uh, we seek power and influence to be able to do that. That's a part of what we're looking for. And we look to knowledge. I, I think more than anything, we, when, when we're just feeling sort of hopeless, how many of you just sometimes go down huge rabbit trails on the internet just simply looking for knowledge to try to figure it out? And what happens when we do that is we end up in a silo. We end up looking for knowledge and looking for answers in the same place that other people just like us are looking for knowledge and looking for answers. And we find all kinds of uh, confirmation bias and all kinds of uh, different thoughts reinforcing uh, our own thoughts, reinforcing our own questions. And when we look into those worlds, into Reddit or into uh, Facebook or into various other streams for information like that, we actually find ourselves in silos that cause us to go deeper and deeper and deeper into our own fears and our own anxieties. And we find ourselves further isolated from other people, isolated from one another, and very often isolated from other believers. Right? And we've seen in the last days since this pandemic, we've seen an incredible shift where Christians of, of various streams, you know, who maybe would have once been aligned with a different uh, stream because of a theological or, or a Christian practice, but basically sort of aligned around the core of Christianity, uh, we've seen Christians divide uh, and an incredible division in the church happen over political issues and social issues. And this is not a thing that should be happening. There should be much more of what we're seeing here at Calvary, where we're seeing a Calvary and OVC, two churches of differing theological streams and differing viewpoints coming together to become one body. But that's not what we're seeing in the broader culture. We're seeing more and more division and separation and a reorganization of the church, a reorganization of God's people around governmental political issues. How many of you know that's not a good thing? And so nobody is looking at the church for solutions. With that overwhelming, that sort of pervading sense of anxiety that we're wrestling with, nobody is looking at the church for solutions because they see that we're fighting one another, that we're, we're against one another, that we're divided amongst ourselves. And people look at the church as being something that is more and more and more marginalized in the culture rather than offering a solution. Because we are under the same cultural anxiety that our whole society is. We're, we don't have something different to offer. 
or, or we haven't presented that publicly. We don't necessarily have something, a sense of security or a sense of safety or a sense that we as a people are anchored. And that's what I want to call us to this morning. I want to call us to be a people who are anchored. Call us to be a people who are secure. Calling us to be a people who are uh, united. Because there's a, there's a fundamental flaw in our thinking. As we look at all these forces, as we look at the geopolitics, as we look at Russia, as we look at China, as we look at government policy and all of these massive forces that are arrayed to impact and affect our lives, we're under the impression that they are the most significant and the most powerful forces in the world. And that's the flaw in our thinking because they absolutely are not. They absolutely are not. Fearing those things, feeling anxiety over those things, is a misplaced fear. It's a misplaced fear. It's not where our fear belongs. Uh, it, it makes sense for us to have fear in our lives. Uh, the problem isn't that we have fear. The problem is who we fear and what we fear. When we let all of those things impact our hearts and impact our sense of security, it is clear that we see them as being more and more powerful than the God who is over and above every one of them. We are fearing gods that aren't gods. We fear what we think is ultimate. We fear what we think has the last word in our lives. The reality is, is those things do not have the last word in our lives. Those things do not have the last word in human history. None of those things, government, social forces, nations, economic forces, viruses are ultimate things. They are small g gods. They are not God. In 1338-1350, that's the time that the Black Plague uh, was uh, running rampant through Europe. Millions of people dying, a time of darkness, a time of, of pain, and, and a time of suffering. Um, and in that time, the church, you know, rose up, and we could see, you know, written letters uh, from Rome, written letters from uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, written letters from authorities in the church. And what they were doing at that time, when that darkness was going on in their culture, is they were calling the churches to prayer, to outdoor masses, uh, to prayer marches, uh, calls to repentance, calls to avoid bad air, even some calls to, you know, some very practical things. Uh, there's a famous letter from the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, written uh, to actually uh, the king in England at that time saying, can you distribute this? Use your mail service and your, your messengers to distribute this to all the bishops that you can. Could you please tell the bishops to call people to repent? Because there is a sin burden on our culture. That Part of what's going on here because of the Black Plague is, is, is because there's sin. There's something of God's judgment in this. We don't understand it. But would you call the people uh, to repentance? That's the solution that was sought by that church in that time. Even some misunderstanding around it. That letter is also infamous for he's actually calling the bishops uh, to grant more indulgences. <laughs> 
just to grant more indulgences, like if people just pay a little money, just tell them they're forgiven and we'll deal with the sin that way. Right, so misplaced and weird and wonky and bad theology, but ultimately looking at the solution to the problems, the solution to the fear, is somehow in laying a hold of God and seeking him for the solution. In the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s, the Church of England's response to that epidemic was again a public letter and a public call, barely a call to prayer, just a brief mention of it. And as you read that document, it's a call to the government for more funding for research and more funding for treatment. And that's good, it's good and, and, and wonderful for the church to be practical. It's good for us to call on the government to do the good and practical things. But in that letter in 1980, that call to God was secondary to a call to the government for help. We have misplaced our, in our understanding, we have misplaced our fear. I don't want to over-spiritualize or under-spiritualize. Uh, those things are, are good. It is good to do the practical things of faith and life and to do them as Christians. But we have to turn our hearts towards Jesus. There's a, there's a great book by a guy named um, Michael Horton. He says this. He says, we can only conquer the wrong kinds of fear by embracing the right kinds of fear. And that is what we mean by sanity. Sanity means living with the grain of reality. The real world is the one in which the triune God is the central character in nature and in history. Amen. That's the real world. That is the reality that we actually live in. Even when all of these forces that are arrayed seem so great and so powerful and through the internet so present to us, the reality of our situation is that God is real, that God is on the throne. And if we continually sand against the grain of that reality, it doesn't produce anything smooth in our lives and we get full of slivers. If we swim against that current, try to swim upriver against the reality that God is on his throne and he is king of the universe, we will exhaust ourselves trying to beat the river on our own power and on our own strength. And if we try to defy gravity, not acknowledging that God is sovereign king of the universe is like trying to defy gravity. And I promise you, however high you try to jump, you will not defy gravity. You will end up breaking yourself. God is God. He is on his throne. He is powerful. He is mighty. And he is at the center of the universe. The illusion is that we are in charge. It's autonomy that's the myth. It's autonomy that's the myth. And the sooner we raise our eyes to heaven, the sooner our sanity will be restored. Right? The sooner we look to him, the sooner our sanity restored. The sooner our anxieties will die down. The sooner our fears will be allayed. Is there any chance that you and I sometimes live as functional atheists? where we believe that the greatest powers and forces in the universe are economic and political ones, and we forget that there is a creator God who is over it all and holds it all in the palm of his hands. Yes. Security comes from fearing that God. Uh, he does not have a supporting role in our lives. Understand that God does not have a supporting role in your life. 
He is not there to just parachute in and just add something nice uh, when, when you're on the stage, when you're doing the things you want to do, when you're directing the play. And it's really nice if God steps on stage from time to time and says something nice to us and comforts us and makes us feel good. That is not the God we serve. We serve a God who is the director and we are the actors on his stage. He is the mighty God who rules over us all. And we need to become reacquainted with his sovereignty. Our text uh, is looking at Hebrews chapter 12, 26 to, to 29. It says this, and this is uh, quoting something that he uh, uh, that he's looking at back to Mount Sinai and the giving of the law, and also looking back to the prophet Haggai, who's prophesying uh, the coming of Messiah and the way that Jesus would ultimately come and reorder not only the physical world, but reorder the spiritual world around him so that every principality and power would be put under his feet. And this is the author of Hebrews talking to the people, trying to encourage them as they know that they're going to be undergoing persecution and trial and struggle. And he says this, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more will I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. It is God who shakes the earth. It is not Vladimir Putin. It is God who shakes the earth. It is God who holds it. And it says in the text, shaking it to remove everything that cannot be shaken. The ultimate plan and destiny and purpose of God is to have a creation that in it exists only Him and His people and righteousness and goodness. And He will shake the earth to make it so. And in Hebrews 12, it says this, continuing on, verse 28, Therefore, let us be grateful that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Do you understand that that is what we are meant to receive while the whole earth is shaking around us, while things are falling apart, things are falling away? You are not meant to be connected to those things that are being shaken away. Look at your life. Where are you feeling anxiety? Where are you feeling fear? Where are you feeling like the world is like ripping you around? It's probably an area where you're attached to a thing that God is shaking. It's probably an area where you're too attached to something that God needs you to know isn't as important as Him. We are given a kingdom. It cannot be shaken. We are given a place of security in him. We're given solid ground to stand on while the world shakes all around us. It says this, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. That word acceptable worship means uh, well-pleasing, like pleasing worship. So what is acceptable worship? It's worship with reverence and awe. Those are gentle words in English, but in the, in the Greek, they basically mean fear. Our fear and the powers of the world needs to be taken back from them and placed as reverence and awe and a fear of God. The fear of God is what drives out the anxiety that's caused us by the world. It is the fear of God that heals us. 
These words are beautiful. Uh, this word reverence, elubia, means a godly caution. That's our response to the power of God. That's our response to the sovereignty of God is holding our relationship with him with godly caution. Where you see that word appear in, in other Greek literature uh, of the time and is in the idea of you've been given a vase to carry that is, is precious, that it is valuable. It's like a Ming vase. Of course, they wouldn't, the Greeks wouldn't have known about Ming vases. But imagine this vase that's worth like literally millions of dollars. And somebody says to you, hey, you just carry that. Can you just carry that and set it over there? Like, yeah, sure. That's not going to be what happens. It's not going to be a casual thing. You're going to take that vase. You're going to probably put on some gloves. You're probably going to put on white gloves and you're going to take it and you're just going to take that precious thing and with reverence, you're going to walk it carefully across the room and you're going to set it gently in the place where it belongs, the place where it's meant to be displayed. Our response to uh, the presence and the power and our understanding that God is over all things is like that. We treat him with reverence in our lives. And if we treat him with reverence, if we treat him with awe, if our attention is on that vase, our attention is not going to be on China and Russia. We're not going to be feeling that fear. We're going to be feeling a connection with the power and the presence of Almighty God. And that word awe in the Greek, that word awe, delios, is someone who has, because in response to what they've seen, lost their gumption and their drive. Have you ever done that? Have you ever come into a place where you've been, you've been walking maybe with your dog at night or something like that, and you just, you just, say, oh, just look up and you see the stars? And something in you just stops. Oh. Wow. You've forgotten that you're walking your dog. You've forgotten the song that you're listening to in your earbuds. And all of that disappears. Every bit of drive that you have to go your own way, to motivate yourself, to do your own thing, all of that disappears when the glory of God comes, when the glory of God appears. Because we are in awe of him. If you are walking through life as subject to cultural anxiety, subject to those fears, you need that awe of God, that reverence for God. We need that to return to us. We need that to return to our lives. We need that to return to the church. And we see this even in the life of Jesus. How many of you remember the story of the taming of the storm in Mark 4? Jesus and his disciples are out on a boat in the water and a storm comes up and the waves are crashing against the boat and they're crashing over the side of the boat and the disciples are in fear. They're worried that they're going to sink and they cry out. It says this, they cried out to Jesus and woke him up and said, Savior, Jesus, Jesus, help us. Will you help us? Will you help us, Jesus? And it says, Jesus awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace. Be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? No faith in me, right? 
It says, and they were filled with great fear. And in the Greek there, it says, they feared him with great fear. They feared him with great fear. All of a sudden, this wind and the waves were blowing at them, pounding at them. Those things that were a threat to their lives, all of a sudden, those waves were no longer something to be feared. But he was someone to be feared with great fear. He became the threat. He's the one. The wind and waves fear. And that's got to be what happens for us. We need to come to him with love and with reverence and with awe. In times of fear and anxiety, when the wind and waves are blowing, the best antidote for that is a rightly oriented fear of Jesus. Fear him. And I'll talk about fear in just a moment uh, so that we understand the love side as well. But I want to see, looking at, uh, Michael Horton says this, As we recover our sanity by recognizing the world as it truly is, a world where the greatest, most fearful, epic, majestic, powerful, mighty influence is the God who died for you and died for your sins, we connect ourselves to a love and to a kingdom that can't be shaken. When we look at them, look at the them, the them that gives us fear and anxiety. Again, Jesus teaching in Matthew 10. So have no fear of them. Have no fear of them who will persecute you. Have no fear of them. Have no fear of Russia, China, uh, Elon, (laughs) Trump, Biden, Trudeau, Polyev, whoever it is that you fear. Have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. God will clear the way. He'll sort out the politics. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Hallelujah! This faith that you have, this trust that you have in me, that's what needs to be spoken into culture. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Again, this is not correcting their fears here. He loves them. He knows that they love him. He's been compassionate. He's been healing. He's been generous. He's been full of mercy. But he doesn't tell them not to fear him. Because he knows that that is fear that is rightly placed. This fear where it belongs. It goes on. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? Fear not, therefore, you are worth more than many sparrows. Here we have the God who is feared and the God who is father. 
And that's the same thing we have in Hebrews 12. Uh, earlier in Hebrews 12, that, that scripture that we looked at, we're receiving a kingdom who, that cannot be shaken. Worship God with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises everyone he receives as son. So the God of fear, the God we fear, the God who disciplines us, the God who is over the world, is also uh, the God of love. We fear the God of love. And so that's the instruction for this morning. That's the instruction for us. If you wrestle with anxiety, if you wrestle with fear, if you wrestle with a sense that the world is changing and you don't know how to fix it, the solution is to get to know the God of fear and the God of love. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Will you come to know the Holy One? And for me, uh, I alluded to this story, uh, Christmas Eve, Eve. That understanding of God as a God to be feared and a God of love is an understanding that can give you incredible security and can absolutely change your life. And that's what changed my life. That's what shaped my life. I had grown up in the church and I had known that God was a God of the scripture and God of the Bible. And I knew something of theology and I knew the Bible stories. And I'd grown up in that world. I had Christianity sort of in the background of my life. But when I was 17 years old and I experienced this call to ministry, uh, that moment of encounter with God where it felt like for the first time in my life, uh, he, had, he had entered into my bedroom and was present to me. And I can't begin uh, to, I don't want to overtell this story, but, but it, was, it, was, it was just approaching Christmas time and, and I decided I should read the scriptures and, and literally I, I can't describe it in any other way than this, but God came in my room and stood behind me as I was sitting at my desk reading the scriptures and, and I could, uh, as, a, as a young man, feel the heat of his glory on the back of my, my head. I, I could feel it with a tangible sense that, that my skin was, was literally burning. And I heard his voice speak to me just simply and say, minister to my people. That's my call to ministry. But more than any of that, any more of those details, any more of those senses of hearing the voice of God for the first time and, and knowing that he's a God who speaks to his people, knowing a God that, that he's a God who would be present to his people, what I remember more than anything else about that time is feeling simultaneously like I was in the presence of a holy God who was a consuming fire, uh, who made all of my sin, all of my brokenness so obvious, I felt like an absolute worthless worm of a sinner, I felt enormous uh, sense that if I could do anything to hide from this brightness, if I could crawl under the fibers of the carpet and make my home there, that would be great because I was in the presence of a holy God and he was utterly different from me. 
simultaneously with that sense of the incredible fear of God that I felt, the incredible sense of holiness, simultaneous with that, I have never in my life felt so loved and so accepted and so known and so adopted and so much his son. And that's what we need to walk in, is that understanding that that person who is holiness in love is the director of the play that is our lives. And if we reorient ourselves to that love, to that fear, all other fear fades away and we're set free. Simon, you can come up ahead with the, the team. I'm going to continue this message uh, a little more practically in, in one of the weeks coming up. I'm not exactly sure when. We're going to look at um, how the early Christians were really prepared to live like that as a non-anxious presence in their culture. Uh, they were prepared to understand that their lives were impermanent. They were given a surety of purpose when people uh, were serving themselves. They understood glory and suffering and not a fear of it. They were anchored in the word, word of God when so many ideas were swirling around. They discovered peace uh, through prayer, peace that passes all understanding. They had eschatological hope that God was a God who was going to judge and make things right. They had covenantal communities that were safe, places of belonging, which is what we're trying to develop here. And there was no sting of death. They knew that Christ had died for them and that they would ultimately be forgiven their sins and rise again. And that's our hope. How do we walk in that practically? How do we become a community uh, that walks in the fear of God, that walks as a non-anxious presence in a very anxious culture? That's what we wrestle with. We're going to sing this song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovcchurch.ca.